We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Mike McGlinchey of the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicles. Hey, it's Eric Crocker. Remember, search my podcast press coverage on the Blue Wire Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me again, fresh off his trip to Arizona, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, how was your trip, man? It was great. It was a really good time, save for the food poisoning I got on the last night there. But I did. I just went down to visit some friends. I moved back home from Arizona about three years ago. And there's some people I just hadn't seen since I moved. So I wanted to get down there, see them, and enjoy myself a little bit. Do you know what you ate that gave you food poisoning? I don't. I think it was these like house chips at a bar. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, I think that's what it was just based on like the timing of it. But the last thing I ate before was this buffalo cauliflower. And now I never want to eat anything buffalo flavored ever again. Oh, that's horrendous. Yeah, just brutal, man. I know the feeling. Luckily, I love a lemon pepper wing, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, lemon pepper is awesome. My my one and only bout with food poisoning came actually in the uh, the playoff game, the freezing Colin Kaepernick Green Bay playoff game. I was there. Oh, that's right. And I ordered pizza because I was very, very broke at the time and didn't have a rental car. And I was in a motel and it was frigid outside and I didn't want to go anywhere. So I got pizza delivered. My hotel room didn't have a refrigerator and the pizza basically lasted me like all day. It was it was lunch and dinner. I took a red eye to get there. Oh, and so turns out you should refrigerate your pizza. That's the moral of that story. Yeah, duh. Unless I got, I might have gotten it from like breakfast at a at O'Hare Airport during my my long trip to Green Bay. But anyway, enough with the food poisoning talk. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're back. The off season is slowing down a little bit. The draft has come and gone. 
Um, the 49ers are, are in the midst of their voluntary portion. They're, they've completed their conditioning program. We had a rookie minicamp, which we talked about last week. And now we're, we're just sort of in a holding pattern. They're going to be OTAs, uh, I think, phase two of the offseason program coming up in a couple weeks later this month. And then the mandatory OTAs, which is really probably the biggest you know, practice session of, of the offseason, is going to be in June. Uh, I want to say it's the third week in June. So we have plenty of time to dissect things you know, regarding the roster, how everything's getting put together. They're making a bunch of moves. They've brought in a, a slew of offensive linemen to provide depth while you know, Weston Richburg, their center, and left guard Lake and Tomlinson are, are dealing with leg injuries and, and they're coming back from surgery. So there should be plenty of reps to go around. But today, I think we want to start with Richard Sherman. And I caught up with with Richard. He, he had a speaking event. He's an investor in the Body Armor Sports Drink. And so I caught up with him at a speaking event in San Jose and asked him about Nick Bosa and, and what he thought about Nick Bosa. And there's a segment of people out there and they're very vocal on Twitter. And I, I get some emails now and again that, you know, like to rip the media for for bringing these things up. And I think what I do want to say about it, first of all, to write about racism, I don't believe racism is a political issue. It's not. And so it's it's strange to to write about racism and get all this get all this feedback like I'm a left leaning, you know, so and so, whatever. However, I'm not going to say how people uh, describe me for for bringing this issue up with Richard Sherman, but check the comments. <laughs> yeah, check the comments. So so to me, racism isn't a political issue. So I don't I don't find this Nick Bosa story a political story. Right. I think what's the reason why Nick Bosa is, you know, what he did on social media in high school and things that he's tweeted in the past are important because he's entering a locker room dynamic, which is a delicate ecosystem, really. And the reason why it's important is because if things don't go well in the locker room, that often bleeds over to the field and it can affect the team's performance. So the scope of writing about Nick Bosa and as he transitions to the NFL and ingratiating himself into an NFL locker room comes from the standpoint of are those things that he did on social media or his beliefs about certain things, i.e. possible racism, is that going to impact the 49ers locker room and and how he's viewed coming into the league? And, and that's a really important story because he's the 49ers most highly drafted player He's arguably their most talented player, and he's going to be a really important player going forward. So the dynamic, the culture in the locker room has been something that we've talked a lot about the last couple of years. And one of the reasons why so many of us have been optimistic about the direction of the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch is because despite all the losing, it's not a toxic locker room. Everybody has a good relationship in there. And that's conducive to winning. And if you don't believe me, I'll, I'll point you back to the final season under Jim Harbaugh when he had arguably his most talented roster to date, but the locker room was in such disarray and there was so much conflict behind the scenes that it bled over to the on-field product. So that's why people talk about culture so much and, and why Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have emphasized it so much and why we all find it so important to write about this Nick Bosa thing. This isn't a political beliefs thing. This is about how Nick Bosa is going to fit in the locker room with other people who have viewpoints that are different than his. And I think that's a really important storyline. I know I'm not the only one in the media. I know not every reader is is angry about this stuff 
getting brought up. And I appreciate that. But just from my standpoint, as some as a journalist who works in this business, that's where I'm coming from, because it is important. It's not political. And I guess that's that's just sort of my piece on it. And, and we can talk about what Richard said in a minute, if you have anything you wanted to add, Kyle. Well, I think the fact that you got Richard Sherman to talk about this, who's been somebody in the NFL, even going back to his time with Seattle, is somebody who is presented himself and who has been in the media as a thoughtful voice on a variety of issues, whether they're league related or race related or whatever it may be. So you get somebody like Richard Sherman, who is not only a thoughtful speaker, but a leader in the locker room who stepped in and was that basically right away. Like the Uncle Sherm thing with the defensive backs happened almost immediately. Like this is a well-respected guy in the 49ers locker room and across the NFL. So to get his thoughts on something like this is important because a lot of the players in that locker room are going to take their cues from Sherman. And if Sherman had come out and said, I'm not talking to the guy, screw him, it's going to make things very difficult for San Francisco's locker room and that culture you were just talking about. And that's something they've really emphasized, them being John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. That's something they've really emphasized when building this team. And if Sherman had come out and made that a difficult transition for Bosa right away, it would have been a really rocky few seasons in San Francisco. Absolutely. So so let's get to, to what Richard Sherman said. And he, he basically said it, what Nick Bosa did in the past doesn't matter. All that matters is how he performs on the field. So here, I'll, I'll read the first quote. He said, you know, one thing about football is nobody really cares what you say if you can play. At the end of the day, I think a guy that has played with African-Americans his whole life, not saying he can't be racist, but they know how to maneuver around African-Americans. Um, that's kind of telling. I mean, Sherman is basically saying here that He's not ruling out the idea that Nick Bosa might have certain beliefs that, you know, wouldn't be kosher or, you know, may or may not be racist or whatever. But it sounds like he's he's played with, you know, guys who might feel the same way. And and, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's not necessarily, you know, unique in an NFL locker room. I think, you know, obviously people come from from different backgrounds and different viewpoints. And really what what's unique about the NFL, though, is is that all these people can come in from all those various backgrounds and and come together and share a common goal and grow through that. So I think that's sort of what Sherman's saying here. He doesn't think Nick Bosa's attitude is really going to be a problem. And and Bosa, you know, apologized and, you know, said that his, the things that he wrote in the past were insensitive, things like that. And Sherman said, you know, talking about Bosa as a teammate at Ohio State, he said, quote, when you're at Ohio State, it's not like Ohio State's an all-white school. So I don't think that's ever going to be an issue. I think at the end of the day, your beliefs are your beliefs. But when you're in the building and you're a football player and you're a teammate, you handle yourself accordingly. And I think he understands that. Uh, so one more one more Sherman quote. He said, it's not like something where guys are like, hey, man, what about what you said? No, no. If he can play, he can play. If he can't play, he won't be here saying he needs to be productive or else, you know, he's going to end up playing elsewhere soon. Quote, but at the end of the day, that's all that matters in football. Is he getting sacks on Sunday? Is he helping our team? Is he being a good teammate? Those are the things that matter. Um, now, if he's a bad teammate, that's something we'll address. So I think, you know, if if you come down on this issue or the, this storyline that like, oh, it doesn't matter uh, what his beliefs are, then Richard Sherman agrees with you. Right. Like Richard Sherman is saying, like, none of that stuff matters. We're going to move past that. 
because the goal is to win football games. Now, what Sherman didn't say, which I thought was interesting, is that, you know, there wasn't really Sherman giving Bosa any benefit of the doubt, right? Like saying the the thing in the first quote, you know, I think a guy that has played with African-Americans his whole life, not saying he can't be racist, but they know how to maneuver around African-Americans. So, you know, I think Sherman is, is feeling a, a healthy bit of skepticism about this, but he also understands that it's not going to be something that really destroys a locker room or, or is going to destroy Nick Bosa's reputation in the locker room coming in. I think everyone is going into this with an open mind. And I've talked to other players off the record about this too. And they've said basically the same thing that Sherman said. If he's a good teammate, if he plays hard, if he does the work, there aren't going to be any problems. And and I can't imagine Bosa is going to do anything else on social media that would stoke this flame anymore because I sense that you know, his introductory press conference was really embarrassing for him in the fact that he had to answer all these questions. Right. And I think when Sherman says, or I guess what you said, that he's not giving him the benefit of the doubt, the way he worded that, it's really clear that he didn't want to take a firm stance really one way or the other. He was using very broad language, I think, to kind of drive the point home that this is not my decision to make what he does off the field is his business. Is he going to come in, be a good teammate and help us win games? I think that's what Richard Sherman's concerned about. And as you said, with other players you've spoken with, that's what they're concerned about. And the 49ers in taking him showed that's what they're concerned about as well. Right. John Lynch has been in locker rooms. Kyle Shanahan's been in locker rooms. They know. Right. And I, I think they knew right away that this is how the players would approach it. And they're doing so. And it's important that Sherman said this. Yes. Right? Like, there's no ambiguity now. Like, Sherman says, this stuff doesn't doesn't matter. And it's more important that he says it than anybody on Twitter saying it or anybody uh, in the media saying it. He's there. He's in the locker room. He's, a, he's one of the team captains. It's important for him to say it. So these are, you know, these are the reasons why we do this is because like we said, we have to figure out what these players think and where they're coming from on these issues because that's our job. So anyway, anything else you want to add about Richard Sherman on Nick Bosa or, or should we just move on to our readers' questions and, and thoughts that they have? Or listeners, I should say. Let's get to the questions. Okay. All right, guys, we have an announcement to make. Blue Wires teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. All right, so... Because it's a slow point of the offseason and because there haven't really been any notable developments since the draft, which we've broken down in previous episodes, we took to Twitter and we asked our listeners 
to shoot us questions or topic ideas they, they want us to dive into. So let's start with Foodie Huxtable at the mayor of GSO, I think. Hey, by the way, Foodie Huxtable is just outstanding. Good, yeah, strong work. What's the best front four to use? This is his question. So I think obviously this depends on situation, but I think the team's best four defensive linemen are D Ford, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and Nick Bosa. If we're going from right defensive end to left defensive end. I'm assuming like third and eight or obvious passing situation. I think that's their front four. Yeah. And it, it'll change throughout the game. The, they'll have a rotation. Solomon Thomas will be in there. I assume he'll, you know, Armstead will will play three techs. Um, Solomon Thomas will play three techs. Some um, when Buckner isn't there, D Ford and Nick Bosa seem like they're going to play the vast majority of snaps on the edges. The 49ers don't really have many other true edge guys. Ronald Blair is a, is a guy who played on the edge a lot last year, who will probably be in the mix too. And I'm sure Armstead and Solomon Thomas will play a little bit on the edge when Ford and Bosa need need to get spelled, but. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty straightforward. I think the one change we'll see is in base situations. Uh, I'm curious to see how it goes with Sheldon Day. Is he going to play nose tackle or is it going to be DJ Jones? Uh, how they mix and match there is going to be interesting. And then there's also uh, Contavious Street, the rookie from last season who missed all of 2018 with a torn ACL. It sounds like he's going to be sort of similar in terms of positional value to, to Eric Armstead as, you know, somebody who can play three tech, big end, inside and outside. So we'll have to see. But for now, it's, I think, like you said, third and eight in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, you need to stop. It's going to be D Ford, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and, and Nick Bosa. That should be a very good front four from a pass rushing perspective. If you're getting the Ford you got last year, the Buckner you got last year, and the Bosa that the 49ers think they're getting with the number two overall pick, that's a outstanding front four. Yeah, and we've talked about it over and over again, but improving the front four is how the 49ers think they're going to improve their pass defense because obviously yep. they didn't make any super significant additions in the secondary in terms of free agent additions or the draft, really. They're really high on Jason Verrett at cornerback, obviously, but He's played in, I think, four or five games in, in the last three years, and he's coming off an Achilles tear, so we know that's far from a sure thing. So we'll have to see. And, you know, they they brought back Jimmy Ward to, to compete with Adrian Colbert to play free safety. There is not much change in terms of personnel in the secondary. So the 49ers are hoping continuity and development behind an improved defensive front can lead to that pass defense taking the necessary steps. So we'll have to see. I think that's a big criticism of the offseason so far is that the 49ers haven't done much to upgrade the secondary from a personnel standpoint. And I think that could end up being the Achilles heel in 2019. If they end up missing the playoffs, it'll probably be because the, the secondary isn't good enough and the pass defense isn't good enough. So we'll see if the front four can make up for it. But I think we're in agreement that the front four should be significantly better with D Ford and, and Nick Bosa here now. That's the hope anyway. Yeah. So uh, next, Joel Roy at Joel Roy three. How does slot receiver shake out? Wes Welker seems like the perfect coach for Trent Taylor. Can he and Richie James both make the roster? So the receiver battle is, is definitely going to be one of the most interesting and deepest and most competitive battles during training camp. I think right now, just looking at it, 
you look at your top six guys, in my opinion, in no particular order, uh, I think it's Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne, and Jalen Hurd, which would leave out Jordan Matthews and Richie James from the 53-man roster, assuming they don't go with seven receivers. And it's hard to see them going with seven receivers because they're probably going to go with four running backs. They have a slew of defensive linemen. It just doesn't make much sense for them to have more than six receivers. And and Kyle Shanahan's had six receivers on his 53-man roster to open the season the last two years. So I think as long as Trent Taylor rebounds from the back injury, you know, he had, he had back surgery uh, almost exactly a year ago. And that impacted him last year, I think, more than, than he initially thought it would and the 49ers thought it would. Uh, so that was why his production w- was down pretty significantly and his playing time was, was down. So the 49ers are banking on him to come back and look more like the 2017 Trent Taylor that we saw that gave fans so much optimism. So, yeah, I think when looking at it, I would guess Debo Samuel, the, the most recent second round pick, is going to be the starting Z receiver taking over for Pierre Garcon. Dante Pettis will be the X. Marquise Goodwin will also be the X. I'm guessing they split time and maybe we see Marquise Goodwin in the slot a little bit more a la Taylor Gabriel with the Falcons sort of as that deep threat from the slot. And then Trent Taylor will also be in the slot. Kendrick Bourne will be or will likely be uh, Samuel's backup at Z. And then Jalen Hurd is really the wild card. He played slot at Baylor. He's obviously a much bigger player than Trent Taylor. He's 6'5 and 230 pounds right now. Um, and maybe he ends up playing more tight end than, the, than receiver. And and there's an outside chance that Hurd really ends up being the number three tight end, which allow which could allow the team to, to keep Richie James or Jordan Matthews on the 53-man roster. Yeah, I think I, for the most part, agree with you. I could see a scenario where Jordan Matthews lands on the roster over Kendrick Bourne. And I only say that because of Matthews' ability to play in the slot and outside. And Kyle Shanahan talked about having players who can play multiple spots. And I think Matthews probably does that better than Bourne does. However, if Bourne comes out and has a really good camp, I think they might view him as a piece of the receiving core in the future because he's shown flashes of being a really good player. And I think that that might wind up fleshing out a little bit more than this year than it has in years past with slot receivers specifically. If we're talking about Trent Taylor versus Richie James, I know Richie James offers a little more in the return game as a kick returner. He had the kick return touchdown against Seahawks last year. But it was very telling to me that with all the 49ers injuries in the receiving core that Richie James didn't step up and make more contributions than he did last season. And that is a little worrisome to me if if you're Richie James. Taylor... Like you said, the production fell off, but he was clearly hurt. But as a rookie, 43 catches for 430 yards, a couple of touchdowns, just a really reliable go-to guy out of the slot. I think the 49ers will take that. It wouldn't shock me if if James took a step up and competed hard for that spot in camp. But just based on what we saw last year, James not getting on the field isn't a great sign for his his future, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it is tough for a seventh-round pick. He was, he was a 240th selection in in last year's draft and you know i mean it's it's it is going to be tough for anybody taking that low to have an immediate impact as a rookie um but yeah i mean nine catches for 130 yards he played in 13 games that doesn't necessarily portend to 
to him breaking out this season, but I, I am interested to see where he's at because I think he's far more talented than, than that production indicated his rookie year. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's really, really tough. Yeah, Richie James is going to be an interesting player to watch. I think you make a good point on the Jordan Matthews and Kendrick Bourne battle because Matthew, like we've, we've seen Matthews be a good player, a, an effective mm-hmm. player in his first three seasons. He started his career with Philadelphia with 872 yards, 997 yards, and 804 yards before falling off the last two seasons after getting traded to Buffalo um, and then going to the Patriots, not fitting in there, and then going back to Philadelphia. We haven't seen a productive Jordan Matthews since 2016. So if he can get back to that level, then I think the 49ers have a very intriguing decision on their hands because does that mean, you know, presumably Matthews would be the the big slot or the Z receiver? Well, what does that mean for Debo Samuel? Is he going to have to play a different role his rookie season than the team initially envisioned, you know, replacing him? or placing him in, in Pierre Garçon's role, right? How would Matthews playing in the slot impact Jalen Hurd's role? And and so, that, yeah, there, there are a lot of really interesting sort of variables at play when it comes to the receiving group. And I think it's it's definitely the most complicated and deepest and competitive battle in training camp. And I think the 49ers with new position coach Wes Welker, I mean, that's, that's going to be a fascinating competition throughout the summer. So yeah, we, we got a lot of questions on that, and and I think handicapping it now is really difficult. But I would say my top six right now still Pettis, Samuel, Goodwin, Taylor, Bourne, and Hurd, depending on how Hurd is used, I guess, and whether or not he's actually going to be a receiver or an H-back or tight end. Yeah, and I went back just over the last couple of years just to compare Kendrick Bourne to Jordan Matthews, and Matthews is actually only three years younger than Bourne, which is kind of wild to me. but Older. Older, but I say younger. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew's three years older, but their stats are like almost identical when you look at them on a per game basis. Bourne's played three more games, but yeah, I'm with you. That's the battle I'm most looking forward to in camp just because there are so many different directions it could conceivably go Mm -hmm. both, both with players making the team and then seeing how the depth chart shakes out. So I know we have, I think the same depth chart prediction right now, but Mm -hmm. if it shook out, differently than that it it wouldn't be a huge surprise to me yeah and and Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have said this too like if you're having to cut players who land on other teams rosters that means your roster is inherently better right like it's you would hope so you you would like to have more NFL quality players than you can have on your team uh, which means the competition's better which means your overall talent level is better and obviously the overall talent level of the roster hasn't been there for 49ers in recent seasons during this rebuild. So yeah, I mean, if Jordan Matthews or Richie James play well, but they don't end up making the team just because the numbers aren't on their side, I think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch would still consider it a win if they ended up elsewhere and proved to be productive players. I think that would say that their receiving core is going to be a lot better. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Uh, Jonathan Gibbs at Johnny Gibbs asks, uh, surprise week one starter on offense and defense. I know who my defensive surprising starter is going to be. I have no idea where to go on offense. I I have to think it would be along the offensive line. Maybe if there's an injury, you know, maybe if, you know, Josh Garnett could start at one of the guard spots. Maybe he overtakes Mike Person. I've got one. Or maybe Mike Person has to play center because Weston Richburg is hurt. 
Hirschberg had a pretty significant surgery um, to repair a, a knee slash quad injury. So it sounds like there's something going on with the connective tissue between the, the knee and quad. I am not a doctor and know nothing about what? medical science. So I'm going to stay out of that. But it sounds like it's pretty significant. So I think the plan is for Richburg to be back to 100% for training camp. But you just never know when it comes to things like this. So if I had to guess a surprise starter on offense, it would probably be an interior lineman. Maybe it's Ross Reynolds, undrafted, working from Iowa. Uh, maybe it's Joshua Garnett. Maybe it's Eric Magnuson. Uh, we will have to see. I think the 49ers open their season in a two tight end set and Caden Smith is the second tight end. Boom. Bang. That's called a take. You can write it down. (laughs) Um, Okay. So on defense, I think it's Dre Greenlaw, the linebacker, the fifth round pick from Arkansas. I think. And that's it. (laughs) With Quan Alexander being, you know, coming back from his ACL tear, there's a chance that he's not available early in the season. And I think Greenlaw is the 49ers most talented option to back him up over Elijah Lee and David Mayo. And uh, I'm blanking on somebody else. Um, They also brought in an undrafted. Malcolm Smith. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Malcolm Smith. So yeah, I think Dre Greenlaw surprise starter week one. We uh, will linebacker because of the injury to Quan Alexander. Would it be a surprise if the starting safety duo is Jimmy Ward and Marcel Harris? Yeah. Okay, that's my surprise starting safety duo. I think Jimmy Ward wins the free safety job because I think he's the best free safety on the roster. And I really liked what I saw out of Marcel Harris to end the year last year. And I think being in a legitimate position competition in training camp is going to help him elevate his game a little bit. And I think he's really perfect for what they want out of the strong safety spot. So give me Marcel Harris starting at strong. So do you trade Jaquaski Tart if this is the scenario that plays out? Or do you just cut him? Or do you just keep him as a backup? I think you can't. It's safety if you're the 49ers. I don't think you can afford to let anybody go at this point, right? At least I think that's how it winds up shaking out. If they do go that route, it wouldn't surprise me if they try and trade Tart because I think he can be a serviceable player somewhere for sure. Yeah, Tart started eight games the last two seasons he appeared in nine games in 2017 appeared in eight games last year obviously injuries he he broke his forearm in 2017 and then he had ongoing shoulder issues in 2018 that really started in week one last year so yeah Jaguasi Tart is a is a good player but uh he just hasn't been able to stay healthy and maybe that leaves the door open for for Marcel Harris like you said all right Michael R. Whiteside at Lotto Blanco 2. I'd like to know how you think the new coaches will affect the team. So I've only been able to watch uh, the new coaches during one mini camp, one rookie mini camp practice. So I can't really say I, I deduced a whole lot from that. And I focused a lot of my time on, on Nick Bosa. And so that meant watching new defensive line coach Chris Kasurik operate. And I think Matt Barrows said it best in, in an article he wrote for The Athletic. Someone called Chris Kasurik a, he coaches like a raccoon on meth. What? <laughs> and yeah, that you should go, you should go read that. It was one of Chris Kasurik's mentors as a defensive line coach. I, I, I forget his name. You go Google the story. But Kasurik, like, so first of all, defensive line coaches are just a different breed. They are the most animated, loud, 
fiery, maniacal coaches on the field generally. And so Kasurik like definitely fits that to a T. He is loud. He's screaming. And it sounds like Nick Bosa likes him. You know, one thing that Bosa said to me was that Kasurik is re- you can tell he really cares for his players in in the meeting room and that, you know, the the tough love thing is just that it's tough love. So in terms of, you know, how how Kasurik is going to change the way the defensive line plays, they they're talking about having more of an attacking mindset. So instead of, you know, in that wide nine scheme and it's I think it's going to be mostly a one gap scheme still they're just going to attack gaps. And last year they wanted under Jeff Scanina, they wanted to utilize a lot of stunts and two man games and, and pass rushing as a unit through different timing and chemistry elements. But I think this year it's going to be more reliant on the talent of the defensive linemen to just penetrate their gaps, play aggressively, play fast and sort of not dumb down their responsibilities, but streamline their responsibilities so they, they can fire off the ball and pressure the quarterback and, and clog running lanes more quickly rather than trying to do things as a, as a four-man unit, if that makes sense. It does. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Great. Uh, defensive backs coach, passing game coordinator Joe Woods. He was the most recently the, the defensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos. He comes in, replaces Jeff Halfley, who's now the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State. From what I've been told, it sounds like the 49ers are still going to stick mostly with their cover three Seahawks type scheme. I don't know that they're going to switch up all that much. I think what we saw under Robert Sala on third down last year was interesting. It it was, you know, they would bring in an extra defensive back and, you know, have one linebacker and then six DBs on the field and they would get kind of creative with their looks, which is kind of a departure from what the Seahawks do. Uh, They're more conventional in terms of their, their third down packages and things like that. But I don't know that that's necessarily going to change. One of the things that we're going to be looking at during training camp is how the 49ers sort of deploy the secondary and, and see if they do try to get more multiple and see if they do try to do more man to man stuff. And I think one of the things they really like about Jason Verrett is how good he is in man-to-man coverage. So we'll have to see. Like I said, I'm not expecting dramatic changes in terms of overall scheme and structure, but I think it could be a little bit different. I mean, the 49ers wanted to make a change for a reason. Obviously, there were a lot of communication issues with the secondary last year. So maybe Joe Woods can fix some of that stuff. Yeah, I think that's really the biggest takeaway from the coaching hires this offseason. Obviously, Kasurik is going to do the different things you talked about with more wide nine looks, but I think Woods presenting things differently that allow the 49ers defensive backs to be in the correct position more often than not. And I understand sometimes defensive backs get out of position because they get fooled by offenses. Like That's what offenses are trying to do, and it happens sometimes. But there were so many plays last year where the 49ers had two defensive backs standing next to each other as a receiver ran free behind them. Uh, Things like that can't continue to happen. And Woods and how he coaches will be the thing I'm watching. Like you said, we don't know a ton so far, but that will be the one coach I'm most interested to watch in the offseason is Joe Woods. Yeah, and so now we have uh, receivers coach Wes Welker and his assistant sort of quality control guy, Miles Austin. Obviously, former players, Welker. Is he a fringe Hall of Famer? Is he a fringe Hall of Fame candidate? Is that the best way? Wes, well, no. 
not a okay, not a Hall of Famer. No. Uh, let me uh, keep going. I'm gonna look this. All up. right, impressive playing career. Obviously, one of our oh, uh, he might be one of our questions was if Wes Welker is a good coach. Or pointing out one of the observations we got on Twitter was that Welker would would be a good coach for Trent Taylor, which is funny for a few different reasons that we're not going to go <laughs> into. But I mean, I, I think the obvious focus is going to be on route running and separation and the ability to adjust what you do on the fly based on the looks you're getting from defenses, you know, option routes, finding open space, things like that, things that slot receivers really excel at. Uh, I would imagine Welker should be a really, really good voice for a lot of the young receivers. And all these guys, I think, are going to end up playing, you know, significant time in the slot, which, you know, Welker, that's obviously his specialty. So I think Dante Pettis will play in the slot. Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, obviously those guys are all going to be used in the slot periodically. So um, just how they develop chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo, if the defense is doing something and based on that look, the receiver has a certain route to run and Garoppolo has to pick up on that look via the defense as well. These are all like chemistry things and real intricate things that the 49ers have to nail down. And I think Welker just given, you know, his background and and what he did with Tom Brady and just throughout his career, I think it definitely should help in those areas. Other than that, I mean, I think the Niners receivers are, are going to be good. I think it's the the, the combination of talent, the skill sets, and how Kyle Shanahan will use all these guys. I think the receiving core is is going to go from a weakness to a strength relatively soon. And it might not be this year because all these guys are really young, with the exception of Marquise Goodwin. But if not 2019, I think 2020, the receiving core could be could be something, you know, pretty special. And I think the biggest asset Welker brings with him. Welker a fringe Hall of Famer, I've decided. Okay, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. Yeah, if he makes it, I'm not going to be outraged. But if he doesn't make it, I'll be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of receivers that, a lot of good receivers that haven't made the Hall of Fame. I think what Welker really brings, though, is when you look at his playing career, he wasn't the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. But the way he understood leverage and route concepts was unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) But the way he devised ways to get open is something that can be taught, I think. And if he's able to do that with the Niners receivers and help them get even a step or a half step extra of separation to open those windows for Jimmy Garoppolo, I think it vastly improves their offense and vastly improves the receiving core as well. Yeah, real lunch pail, hard hat, gym rat, film room (laughs) junkie. Just a real gritty type of guy. Okay, so... Finally, uh, we have quarterbacks coach Shane Day, who replaces uh, Rich Scangarello. Day's an interesting, an interesting hire. He spent the last couple of years as a tight ends coach for the Dolphins, which you wouldn't really like make the connection to. Oh well, we should make this guy the, the quarterbacks coach. Uh, he was an offensive assistant offensive line coach in 2014 and 2015 with Washington when Sean McVay was the coordinator, and we know how important it is to be connected to Sean McVay. That's a joke, but in but in all seriousness, I mean that Sean McVay's offense and Kyle Shanahan's offenses are very similar. So it sounds like Shane Day is well studied. I know Kyle Shanahan, you know, really likes him, and, and Shanahan has has a good eye for assistant coaches. So um, the Shanahan tree, I think, is is something that's a little bit undervalued. 
or or not talked about enough maybe when we talk about sort of connections in the league and coaching trees and things like that. Uh, people forget that Sean McVay is a product of the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. So I don't really know exactly. But Kyle Shanahan's a product of the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. Think about it, Chris. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in coaching, not family. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Kyle Shanahan essentially is the, the de facto quarterbacks coach. I think what Shane Day and, and this was Rich Scangarello's responsibility too, right? Like, is just sort of carry on, be an extension of Kyle Shanahan's coaching. So I can't imagine that there are going to be issues with with Shane Day. I think he's well-traveled. He knows a myriad of, of different positions on offense, you know, within the structure of what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. So I think uh, I'm imagining that Shane Day is going to end up being a good hire, but we won't really know because, and ultimately, like, how Jimmy Garoppolo plays and how the offense plays as a whole is going to reflect on Shanahan, not necessarily the quarterback's coach. So, yeah, that's how that's how we think the new coaches are are going to shake out this year. So I think we'll wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to add? I think the fact that we're talking about the depth on the 49ers roster on both sides of the ball and players who might be good players who could get cut as part of the final roster cut downs, I think is a good sign for the direction the team is going because it feels like the last couple of years it's been a search for uh, there might be a good player here, whereas now it feels like there's a lot of good players here. Now, which ones are they going to keep on the roster? And I think that's a good sign for San Francisco. I would agree with that. I'm going to ask you guys to please subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. On the Blue Wire Network, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify. So check us out. Uh, Help us out with a five-star review. That would be awesome. And we will talk to you guys soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.